Uh, you might have realized that I, um, that I changed a little bit the title of my talk because now it's not so much a con oh, excuse me a concept of proto-mental causation, but rather some uh, ruminations, and I will talk about that later. First, again, let me thank uh, Michael for for organizing this conference and for bringing us all here together. Without the problems of volcanic ashes or something, everybody arrived here pretty quickly. Um, what I'm going to do, I want, what I want to do is uh, to give you a glimpse into my personal metaphysical laboratory. So uh, this talk is going to be highly speculative and uh, it has itself three parts. I'm going to start by giving some very brief conceptual remarks on on some metaphysical or philosophical intuitions I take to be uh, widely misunderstood in the modern um, analytic philosophy. And I will then go and address the concept of mental causation within the recent debate and going to define, going to argue for some common problematic elements within recent uh, approaches towards securing mental causation. And this will lead me to my third part, and I want to sketch a version of a pan-experiential um, ontology of causation, which is in fact a theory of microphysical causation. Um, microphysical because I have no apparent solution to the combination problem, so I don't want to talk about human consciousness or anything. So let's get started. Um, I have here for you a lyrical introduction to my talk before it gets complicated. Um, this is a poem by, or part of a poem by Percy Shelley, and I think he argues, or he states very um, intuitively uh, the concept of mental causation, that a, that a faint thought can move a nerve and become part of the great causal chain of nature. And this is what I want to call the wonder of mental causation. And that is that something as a serial as the mental something so far away from our concrete physical reality, or that is thought to be so, so far away from our concrete physical reality, is able to become a part of the causal network or causal framework of the world. And I think to most modern philosophers, uh, despite maybe us, some panpsychists here, some people sympathetic to panpsychism, um, this is just a pretty illusion. And I want to take this pretty illusion as a paradigmatic verbalization of what I consider to be a the characteristic features of mental causation. So, um, but now here are my uh, two philosophical concepts, which are the slightest title, a philosophical minefield. And I don't think, I, I have no idea if you can say that in English, but in, in Germany you, you sometimes say that something is a conceptual minefield. If you can take no step, if you can make no assertion without uh, bringing about severer and more problematic structures. So um, the first concept I want to talk about is the concept of causation. And I think everybody is talking about causation or the causal relevance of the mental and other causal powers. But I think nobody really thinks about what causation in itself means. And this is especially true for one distinguished or someone who is thought to be a distinguished expert on mental causation, Sven Walter, philosopher from Germany. And he's a paradigmatic example for this problem because he just mixes up realistic and anti-realistic um, concepts of causation and just thinks it's all the same and that he combine, can combine these. So I'm going to approach a liberal account of causation. 
And I'm going to do this under the paradigm of bringing about. And the paradigm of bringing about is, I think, um, orientated towards the four Aristotelian causes. So at this first conceptual intuition, I'm going to uh, let everything be causally relevant that can be understood via the Aristotelian causes. And one of the central questions will, of course, be how does physics fit together with this uh, conception of causal relevance? And another concept I think that is highly misunderstood is the concept of the physical world. And this is due to the tremendous success of physics as a theoretical science, so that almost everybody you, you talk on the street with will tell you, well, the physical world is the world which is described by physics and nothing more. Um, I don't think that this is such a clear position, and I'm going to argue in a more idealistic way, maybe with a Cartesian intuition, that the that is what really matters is the experiential. So I'm going to give a definition of the physical world that is the sum of all non-supernatural experiences. And this traces back to Bertrand Russell's uh, Our Knowledge of the External World. And again, you have the question, how does this concept of the physical world fit together with um, physics as a science? And I'm going to talk about this later. OK, let's head over to the second part of my talk. And I want to give a causal interpretation of the mind-body problem, which says I'm going to set up a structure in order to define the different positions in the uh, mind-body problem while stating a trilemma, a philosophical, um, three philosophical theses where you need to negate one in order to render a coherent position. So here are two substantial theses. Is there? Do I have a it's a pointer? Okay. Um, you have two substantial thesis, which are here one and three. This is first the thesis PCC or PCC star. I'm not decided yet on what thesis is true. The physical world is causally closed, or the world of physics is causally closed. And you have a conditional thesis telling you that from PCC or PCC star seems to follow that there is a causal irrelevance of the mantle. And you have the intuit intuitive notion of that the mantle is causally relevant within the world. So OK, we could, in order to, to guarantee the causal relevance of the mantle, it would be rather dumb to negate this thesis. So we are, we are going to negate either the second thesis, the conditional thesis, or the first, the um, the substantial thesis about the, uh, the causal closure of the physical, physical world. And I'm going to start by um, discussing very briefly approaches that try to secure the causal relevance of the mantle via negating the second thesis, or the conditional thesis that seems to be, to me, to be a logical truth, um, the thesis that PCC star is followed by non-MCR. Well, these guys are called non-reductive physicalists, and they want to hold dear two intuitions about the world. And the first intuition is that human acts of volition make a causal difference in the world. And the second thesis would be that a rationally justified philosophical worldview should be orientated towards the empirical best justified science, which is physics. OK. If you want to combine these two theses, you can trace them back to our, to our earlier thesis, and you can see that uh, we should negate 
this subjunction in order to not get any um, logical problems with our two intuitions. Now, and I take non-reductive physicalists to be a metaphysical realists concerning mental causation. And this is very easily argued for because if physical causation is an objective phenomenon of the world or objective matter of fact, metaphysically, realistically interpreted, then you'd better interpretate mental causation also in a realistic manner. Because otherwise, you couldn't account for the causal relevance of the mental within the physical world. And what non-reductive physicalists want to do is argue that there is some kind of dependence relation holding between the physical and the mental. And that is just true because non-reductive physicalists are still physicalists. So they need to account for the ontological primacy of the physical over the mental. And here it gets complicated because I want to use the back blackboard, so I have to switch sometimes. I want to just give you a what probably mental causation could look like structurally within the framework of non-reductive physicalism. And that is that you have here a act of efficient causation. You have a extended causal structure where you have a distinct effect, uh, extinct cause and a distinct effect. This is the physical. And you have some kind of mental thing that is weirdly dependent upon the physical. I don't know how to sketch this because I don't understand how the um, dependence could work. And then you could have intermental ca uh, causation. That is not the problem. But the problem seems to be how can there be causation from the mental to the physical? OK. Um, I will not, in this talk, I will not be discussing the problems of these, uh, uh, these non-reductive um, approaches, but I will focus on the common elements, I think. And the first common element I want to focus on is that the physical is identified with the entities described by physics. So we have an identification of my first two Caesars, PCC and PCC star. And the second, more interesting thing is that mental causation is, is modeled structurally analog to physical causation. So again, you have a distinct mental cause, uh, cause, which is in an extended manner, much like under the paradigm of efficient causation, Aristotelian speak, um, bringing about a distinct effect. So I, keep, I wanted to, want to keep that in mind, because I think that is the important lesson we learn. And now I'm going to talk about negating the thesis one, which is interactionistic dualism. Fortunately, David already talked about this a little bit. Um, I take dualism to be a theory that proposes two distinct ontological realms, where no essential characteristic of the one realm can be an essential characteristic of the other realm. So we have a complete um, ontological distinction. And how do these people mental, uh, model mental causation? Well, again, dualists are metaphysical realists for the same reasons sketched before. And dualists argue that mental causation is, in a somewhat miraculous manner, able to bridge the ontological chasm between the mental and the physical. And again, the central goal of, of dualism will be to explain how this bridging over can be possible. And here is, I think, maybe 
someone who can be as close to a dualist today as you can be, Dean Zimmerman, who argues that the most commonly cited knockdown objection to dualism is the impossibility of causal interaction between things as dissimilar as the physical and an, and an immaterial soul. So here are the two problems, interaction problem as well as the pairing problem. Again, I will not discuss these problems, but I will again focus on the common elements. And the first common element that springs to mind is that again, the physical is identified with the entities described by physics. Again, uh, identification of PCC and PCC star, and again, that mantle causation is structurally analog modeled to physical causation. And we can draw a pretty much, okay. we can draw a pretty similar picture. We have the world, we have here our ontological chasm, we have some kind of physical causation, and we have the mantle, which is completely distinct from the physical, and now the mantle is set to leap over this ontological chasm, but again, the idea is that you have one distinct cause bringing about in an extended manner in the paradigm of efficient causation one distinct effect. So I think these are the common elements, or this is what I want to take as the common elements of classical or classical modern approaches towards securing mantle causation. Um, I'm going to take a stock here and give you some of the intuitions I'm going to use later. Um, I take it as a matter of fact because I, I will, I'm not able here to, to argue for that, that there are severe problems for as well non-reductive physicalism as well as dualism. And I take it, I think I showed that, uh, as a matter of fact that non-reductive physicalism as well as dualists um, model mental causation structurally identical. And I think this is why um, Godhard Brundtrup, my PhD advisor, stating this 1995, and I don't think there's much work done from non-reductive physicalists or dualists in order to overcome this assertion, that um, there is no real solution to the problem of mantle causation at hand, so we need to look further. And I'm going to ask a simple question. Maybe it is the geometrical account that is modeled towards efficient causation that is the problem with modeling mantle causation within these frameworks. And I think this is the place where our Aristotelian causes can come into play. Um, Dean Zimmerman again argued in, in his paper, Imminent Causation, that you need um, formal constraints in order to um, make efficient causation a viable theory of causation. And this is what he called Imminent Causation setting formal constraints for the efficient force. And I take at this point to be mental causation, a special kind of imminent causation within the framework of sketched by Dean Zimmerman. So, okay, now I'm going to head over to, my, uh, to the third part of my talk and I'm going to ask one simple question first how do I want to position myself within the trilemma I stated earlier? And I'm going to solve the trilemma by, by negating the first thesis, in fact, the thesis PCC star. And I'm going to talk about the physical world, or the concept of the physical world first. Um, let's have a look at the following A. 
every entity of the physical world can be completely, and I should probably add adequately, described in terms of physics. And this is, I think, what, co what comes down to stating PCC star in general terms. PCC star is a reformulation of this thesis just in causal terms. And I want to ask, is A, the thesis that the physical world can be completely described as described by physics, is that a Whiteheadian fallacy of misplaced concreteness? And a Whiteheadian fallacy of misplaced concreteness is the fallacy of mistaking an abstraction of the world for an adequate and complete description. And I think I'm I can show that this is true for, uh, for thesis A. And I'm going to uh, give you one argument by Peter Unger, 2006, in his book uh, All the Power in the World, which is, in fact, again, a book arguing for dualism, for substance dualism, in fact. And this argument is called the thought experiment of planumate and particulate worlds. And I'm going to give you that argument because I assume that some of you don't know this argument and because I find it very persuasive personally. So uh, let's take physics. physics. What does physics give us? It gives us spatial temporal properties, in fact properties of extensiveness, plus some kind vague of count of forces. And it is said that intrinsic properties are reduced to physical properties, and this is in fact stating thesis A. Now, take two possible worlds. Ugh. Is there? Hmm. Do you have anything to? But but okay. Let's take two possible worlds. Take first a world where there's a very thin medium, and within this thin medium, there are small particles of a very thick medium. I will draw them here, three particles, and take again a very similar possible world, which is composed of a very thick medium, much like a Swiss cheese, and there are little bubbles inside this Swiss, me uh, this Swiss medium, this thick medium. So, now, imagine these two worlds and put gradually away all the intrinsic properties like colors, the thickness, the textual properties of the particles, and just look at the um, physical description of these worlds, and you will find that physics itself does not decide whether uh, whether the first world or the second world is realized. So this comes down to stating that the, tra that the trajectories of the particles within these spaces are completely identical for a physical description. Um, what is the problem with this? I just described two worlds, and physics can't decide which world we live in, but I pretty much know that I'm living in the first world, that I'm living in a particular world, that I'm a very solid ob object, where, uh, whereas there's a very thin medium surrounding me. Well, this, I think, shows that physicalism alo uh, physics alone is not equipped to give a um, complete account of the physical world. So I'm going, to, I'm going to the consequences that I should negate thesis A. Now let's head one step further. Let's take a look at the concept of causation and its uh, 
in fact, at the concept PCC star. And I want to ask one question. Does theoretical physics entail a notion of strict causal laws being able to support or even deduce the thesis of the causal closure of this physics? And I don't think that this is not a priori the case. And this is not the case because the only thing entailed in theoretical physics is some vague notion of mathematical correlation. And correlation itself is neutral to, uh, to whether you have strict causal laws or you whether you have some kind of human account towards laws. And this is, I think, shown in this, uh, I would just want to give you this little cartoon. Um, surely there is no, uh, there's no causal relation there's not the causal relation stated by the little boy, but surely there's a correlation between um, the lighting up of the seatbelt signs and the bumpy flying of the plane. And here is why I think this is true for physics. Let's have a look at the two best justified theoretical theories in physics. Let's have a look at our best candidates for a unified description of physics. And this is first quantum mechanics. And quantum mechanics seems to imply, or the phenomenon formalism of quantum mechanics, that differential equations only argue that for some observable x at some other observable y is realized with a certain probability. So there's nothing about causation here. And you can just interpret it in the way of the first observable is followed by the second one, or you could interpret this in the way that you say the first observable causes the second observable to come about. And very analogous arguments can be found for algebraic quantum field theory, but I will not be able to go into detail on this. Um, if you want to have a look, there is a very nice discussion of this matter in Greg Rosenberg's um, A Place for Consciousness from 2004. Four. Four, yeah. Okay, this is what I take to be um, theoretical physics does not entail necessary or a priori strict causal laws. And I think at the end of the day, we need to admit that theoretical physics alone is not able to, to a priori imply the thesis PCC star. And this, I think, poses a very hard conflict with our intuitive argument for physicalism, because physicalists tell us, well, have a look. Physics does describe reality so well. And from physics follows the causal closure of physics. And so your mental, your mental states, your proto-mental things, they don't have to do anything in this world. So just cut out mental causation. No, this is not true because you can't deduce without further assumptions um, the thesis of the causal closure of the physics from physics alone. And I th this is why I think that thesis one star is hollowed out conceptually. I think there's no reason to believe in PCC star only by the means of physics. And I think that our ho ad hoc assumptions, like the assumption of strict causal laws or the identification of physics with the physical, is needed to render PCC star as a viable um, sequitur from, from physics alone. And here is where, um, for a naturalist, I think a possibility opens. Now, naturalists or proponents of mental causations are, not, are no longer forced to assume that 
they need to embrace non-reductive physicalism or interactionistic dualism in order to save mental causation. If this analysis holds true, then we are able to give an intelligible account of mental causation within the framework of the natural world. And this is what it's all about. You have the possibility of giving a tertium between physicalism or non-reductive physicalism and dualism. And I will give a first formal description of my version of real naturalism, which says that I assume that there is some kind of indeterminism in physics. And I will assume that PCC holds. Yeah? Sorry, just I've forgotten which one PCC star is. So one star is that the causal closure of The causal closure of physics is PCC star. Okay. And PCC is the causal closure of the natural world. And one star is PCC star, right? No. Yeah, yeah, one star is one PCC star, 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 yeah. Right. Sorry, that's maybe a bit little bit confusing. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, what I want to argue for here is that I have no argument for this, but, but I, I think it's pretty, pretty intuitive that you don't want to have angels or anything non-supernatural interfering with the causal framework of your world. I just w don't want to do this. Um, so I'm assuming that PCC, the causal closure of the physical world, holds, but not that PCC star, or one star, um, the causal closure of physics holds. Now. One step further, let's go into a positive theory of mental proto-mental causation. And I've, I've pretty much uh, the same problem sometimes with, with panpsychism, like stated earlier by David. And this is why I want to give you a short, um, short abstract of what I consider to be the essential characteristics of my version of panpsychism, which I call personally pan-experientialism. So I take the mental and the physical to be equally real aspects of the natural world, to, to be on ontological equal footing. And this ontological thesis is, um, uh, is, uh, is, in is in addition with a modal coherent thesis, I take um, the mental aspect and the physical aspect to be uh, within every event of the physical world. So you could state the following modal thesis. If you have a mental aspect, then you can't have, there's no, it's not possible not to have a physical aspect. And um, if you have a physical aspect, it's not possible that you don't have a mental aspect. So this would be the modal coherent thesis. Um, and within this model coherent thesis, I interpretate the physical to be the intrinsic carrier of the, uh, the, f the mental to be the intrinsic carrier of the physical, and the physical to be the objectified hold of the physical. And I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the um, mental because I think the physical we pretty know, we, pre we know pretty well via physics. So I take uh, these intrinsic carriers to be phenomenal perspective which are characterized by, in particular, individual quale. Um, this means that they are essentially a view from somewhere. Um, there is a certain perspectival feeling that it is like to be that entity. And this feeling is different from any other feeling in the world. 
Uh, nevertheless, there should be some similarity relations between different kinds of feelings. Maybe that Phil Goff's feeling of this room or environment is pretty similar to my feeling of this environment compared to the feeling of an electron within a certain experiment. Um, I take these perspectives to be uh, representations and I take them to represent the past via causal influences, the environment via interdependence of states, and this is a little bit tricky because I don't want to go universalist or in any kind a realist about um, abstract entities. I take them to uh, represent their future in some kind of way. And this is, this is going to be modeled via the theory of abstraction by Bob Hale and Crispin Wright. And they tell us that we can pick out abstract entities or, or quasi-abstract entities via equivalence relations that hold in the world. For example, there is this famous example of Humes. You have the identity of the amount of elements of two sets, A and B. And you find this identity of the sets, or I don't know what it's called, potency of sets maybe, um, via a bijective relation that holds between every two members of the respective sets. So I want to take a future to be an abstraction of a set of possible worlds where the following definition holds. X is part of one possible future W1 of an event E if and only if X, all propositions of W1 and all propositions of E's past, of the event's past, form a consist consistent system. And via this, I'm going to pick out certain strains of development for the event at a certain point of time. Now, a second aspect, I take uh, perspectives to be evaluative. Evaluation is a phenomenal version of selecting. And I want to model this via marking with a certain um, quale. And this is especially true of representations. So for example, a perspective could mark qualitatively a certain strain of, it, of development. And basically, this is a Whiteheadian intuition, I think, at least as far as I interpreted Whitehead. So we can again ask, what is the pressing question? How do we model mental causation within such a crazy ontology? And is there any metaphysical aftermath? Well, I think it requires at least some kind of revisionary metaphysical thinking. And my argument, again, for the place of more I think uh, for the place of mental causation was too limited first. I argued that mental causation is some kind of special immanent causation. And this is true because I take Dean Zimmerman's theory that you, c that you, need, to, that you need to model other causal influence in another way. And here is my main reason for this, the principle of complete causal explanations. You can't have two independent, sufficient causes of the same kind for the same effect. So you can't have exactly that here. If you have one sufficient causal structure that is efficient, you can't have another efficient causal structure. That would just make no sense because you would run into problems of overdetermination and such things. So what I want to do is to argue for Gibt es hier irgendwie Lappen, wo man was abwischen kann? Ah. Brilliant idea. 
So what I want to do is to put it in a picture. Here's your world. And here is your, uh, here's your part that is, that is described by physical causation. And you have a, another layer of causal influence that is formal, that poses formal causal constraints, whereas these parts hold together. So this is a kind of, a, the idea is a framework of matching causal powers. And within this framework, we need to reconsider my first assertion that mental causation is indeed a special kind of imminent causation because we can change the scope. Within a pan-experiential ontology, mental causation becomes imminent causation or formal causation, causation itself. And this, I think, would provide a very natural explanation for the causal uh, power of the world. And now, at last, here is how I model mental causation. I'm going to define four or rather three processes. And the first process will be the following. A micro-event ET to a certain point of time T is located within an environment of events, P1 to PM and within the context of its own past, also predecessor events e t minus 1 to e t t minus n. And the event now represents environmental influences as well as the constraints of the past via phenomenal content and abstracts a future consisting of its possible strains of development w1 to wx. And the idea is basically this. This is the, here is the, here's the direction of time. This is the past of the event. Here is the actual now of the event. And now different strains in the future get abstracted. So here's where the event is actually sitting. So um, I will think, I don't think I will talk about past eternalism and future presentism for now. Um, now, let's have a look at the second process. Um, the possible developments w1 to wx of the event are, after process one, evaluated by one by one and marked with specific phenomenal content. This means that the event, in a very, very anthropomorphic way of speaking, just says, well, I like this. This seems nice. I don't like this one, um, this strain of development. And these contexts, these contents now form a hierarchy. Um, in fact, a weighted hierarchy. And the idea is that the hierarchy f poses a kind of, is, is made up by comparing proposition of the following kind. The f this world, W1, for example, is better than W2. And I don't think these comparing propositions need to be in any kind uh, conscious or something. So now what happens next? Let's take a look at our th third process. I think now is where the, uh, where, the, uh, where the causal matching starts. Linear structured physical causation is bundled by ET's development hierarchy in exactly such a way that a certain success event is generated. And the bundling of the development hierarchy is in fact the formal constraints set by mental causation. 
via the phenomenal marking of different possible strains of development. These, uh, the, okay, we can skip over these. There could be partial realization if there are interferences of the, of the environment. And I take it to be a matter of fact that there is some kind of transmission of a characteristic quality from the one event to the other event, just because in order to model some kind of loose persistence condition for my events. They are very, only very loosely and need to be only in some kind of similarity relation. And at this point, I take the process three to become process four, which is structurally identical to process one, only kind of environment and past and some other things um, are updated, kind of. And this is why I'm proposing a rather radical form of a continuous worldview, of a continuous causal worldview, because the end of one act of causation will now be the beginning of another act of causation, though there are, so to speak, no dead causal ends within the world. Um, I know that this is pretty sketchy and that is pretty speculative in a bad sense, not in a Hegelian sense. Um, nevertheless, I wanted to confront you with these ideas because I take this conference to be a possibility to ruminate around with different ideas on mental causation, on probably solutions to the combination problem, and so on. And but I want to give one last remark. I think if this theory maps the causal structure of the world at least partially correctly, I think a paradigm shift is at hand. Physicalists sometimes ask me at, at the conference in Edinburgh, with, at the, the conference dinner in particular, where I sat together with, with Philip Goff and John Donaldson, he asked me, just give me one unique, genuine causal role of the mantle that is not alone provided by the physical. And I had a hard time providing such a role, and now I think I, need I know what to answer. I think I know that the answer is, without mental causation, without formal constraints that are modeled via mental causation, physical causation itself becomes impossible. So thank you very much for your attention. And